you've not met, I'm Pastor Mike Ramsdale. Uh, you'll, see, you'll see me in the opening video in worship if you get here early enough, uh, the one where we have all the announcements. I'm the one going like this, you know, I, uh, so look for that. I don't think I ever go like that, but one time in the history of my life, I did it. They took a picture, and I'm up there on the screen for you to begin today. Uh, I want to share a couple things to begin before I, before I officially get into the message fuel, the third week in the fuel message series. Uh, we are uh, very excited about uh, Lent, which is coming up in just a very few weeks. It begins early this year. Easter's early as well. Easter is the last week, uh, the last weekend or last Sunday of, of, of March this year. It means Lent starts February the 10th. It's coming quick. And we're having a 40-day challenge, a small group opportunity for you to be a part of. The first one of those we did in the fall, Pastor David writes this work, works with a, a team that puts this together for you. Uh, what he's interested in doing is so, so what Jesus was about. He said, I believe that following Jesus is the best way to live my life and my work. is about helping people follow Jesus. That's what this is about. Uh, deeper begin that, we have added about 80 new small groups in that study. We're doing it again now. If you'd like to help and be a host, when you go back, when you leave today, go out the atrium, there's a whole bunch of people waiting for you to tell you how to do that. Uh, we actually show, uh, there's a video that David has done that introduces that when the group meets. Uh, then the book guides us through. Anyone can do it. Absolutely anyone can do it. All you need is a willing to open your home or classroom or some setting, maybe at work, where you can gather friends, family. Uh, you can gather, you enjoy uh, doing uh, sport, uh, other activities with, hobbies with, church people, whoever you want. It doesn't matter. And if, you can, if you're not uh, able to join a group or lead a group, you can also just do the study yourself on your own. It's also possible for you to do it that way if, that's what, if that works best for you. The books are available. You can buy one today. And here's why it's important, that we have multiple, multiple worship services. We have three right now that are going on in the Well Cafe and the Well and the Sanctuary service. We have one at 9.30, one at 8.15, one last night. Pastor Caesar leaves one on Thursday night. So you see, so we really, this is how we connect together around one common theme. Going deeper, deeper with God last fall and now 40-day challenge and Easter follows it. So how exciting is that? Uh, so please think about it today. It's available, and we hope you'll be a part of that journey with us in this church family, whether you're a first-time visitor or you've been here many, many years. Hope we will do that. Uh, now I want to take a second uh, step as well to say something else. Uh, a year ago, around this time, our church made a decision, and I led that process with our cabinet uh, and our uh, bishop and the PPR committee here, which uh, it works for the pastors, and many of you were part of that process and made the decision to change how our, church, how our church was led. And Pastor David Alexander became the senior pastor at that point. Uh, and I stepped back as one of the pastors leading this service, being one of the things that I do among many other things as well. And I want to tell you how it's gone in the last year of this journey. Uh, you, may, you, may, you probably don't know these things, but we, and I just found this out myself uh, yesterday, Friday. The average of worship attendance for our church last year was over 2,500 in all our services put together. That's the highest in our history to be doing that at that level uh, at the end of the year. Uh, that makes us, there's about 32,000 Methodist churches in the nation. That puts us in the top 25 of, of worship attended churches. That's a highly successful year, I think. Uh, we had 100 people join the church the first Sunday of the new year. This year, 100 people joined the church and all our services, very exciting, uh, very special for us in doing that. 
uh, our budget last year, we don't talk about money very often budget-wise, but the giving was almost $300,000 more than last year on the same time frame. So that means the giving was really, you know, $300,000 more. So your generosity was shown in actual numbers that we use to serve, worship, give, help, minister, be the church of Jesus Christ in the world. That's exciting as well. So we celebrate that and who we are. And so these are some of the things that I think speak to that, hey, God's working in our church. God's doing stuff and, and our shift and our change and how we're working and operating and, and how we lead and how we, how we make a difference. And, and I just wanted to celebrate that today. Uh, we're having church conference at 3 o'clock. Uh, Methodist churches have those every year. We approve budgets and leadership and vision for the next year. You're welcome to come to that. Everybody can t- attend that. If you're, you're a member, you can vote. Uh, those who have not yet united in membership can attend and enjoy that time. Even ask questions. You just can't vote. That's just how we work. So, uh, but nonetheless, I wanted to make that clear for you today and celebrate those things and be grateful for those things as we celebrate how the fine way that Pastor Dave has led our church in this last year. And I get to be part of what, what, where he's leading this great church. This great community, this great world, so we celebrate that now. Now the Fuel message series, third in the series. Uh, the title is Submit to Who? And I'll explain why I titled that in a little while. Uh, Roger Staubach uh, was at one time uh, the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. And that was back when Dallas had a football team. Um, <laughs> now who's applauding over there? I'm just making a joke now. I I think I'm funny. Um, And he also was a Naval Academy graduate, won the Heisman Trophy there, went to Vietnam for a year, if you did not know that, Uh, came back afterwards and became eventually, very quickly, uh, the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Five Super Bowls. Uh, Two two he, he won, but he was in five Super Bowls. Uh, And now he's one of the biggest real estate guys in Texas. He sold his company last year for almost a billion dollars, or two years ago, I think. Uh, So he's done very, very well since then. Five kids, who knows how many grandkids he's got. And also, he's a Christian guy. Faith is a center part of his life, family, and his long-term marriage. We celebrate that as well. But here's what he said after retirement. He said that, uh, I had to learn to live a new way because on Sunday afternoon, I could not look up the scoreboard and see whether I won or I lost. He said, I don't know now. And I'm figuring out what is winning, what is losing, and it's different. So here's the question. What is winning in life? What is losing? Do we have a say in it? What's the scoreboard we look to where we say, my life is winning? You know, and I know exactly what those things are because I have done more than a thousand funerals, I'm sure, probably quite a bit more than a thousand funerals. I meet with families at the point of of the death of a loved one. We prepare for the services, and I know when that person won and when they lost. And everybody knows. No matter what we say, what we talk about, how we try to lay out the service, how we try to think of what we should say and, and celebrate and mark and say, God, have mercy upon us, and heaven's real, all the things that we talk about in services. God's promises and amazing grace. We always know, we don't say it, but everybody knows, this person won. They won. There's a scoreboard. This person lost. They lost. And and we have to think about that in our own journey of what I'm trying to say today about about submitting to who. One of the things that I often say 
uh, is about uh, you know, that, that I believe there is a, a real devil, sometimes called Satan, and this evil force in our world tries to get what he wants. And I think one of the things that he'd like us to do is to believe that important things are unimportant, and unimportant things are important. I call that the con in the wilderness. And, and if he can get that done in us, then we're going to lose, and he's going to win. But if we say, hey, you're not catching me with that one, I know what's important. I've got that. I went to church Sunday. I've read the Bible. I've invited Jesus Christ to come into my heart and life. I know what's important, and, and then he's lost because we, we know what winning is, where we're going today in the clarity of this. And, and fuel is about change, about fuel for change, uh, fuel for building our life, fuel for the Christian journey, fuel for what's important in our life. And that's what this series very clearly is about. Uh, man, uh, a writer that I enjoy, to, uh, enjoy reading is named Randy Alcorn. And he wrote this about winning using different terminology, and here's what he said. Modern happiness studies demonstrate that wealthy, that wealth, success, power, and popularity are not indicators of happiness. Even though our, even though our culture says, I'm going to add this, even though our culture says they are. We hear it every day that wealth will make it. Look at what does happen with a billion, a billion and a half dollars given away. How many think they'll be happy if they win that? You know, uh, that, 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 that having some kind of great achievement is going to make me happy. That, that if I achieve, make this, that, that I get, gain power and success, I'm, I'm going to be happy. Well, it goes on to say, people, already does, people who choose gratitude and engage in respectful, other-centered relationships are happier than those who are self-focused and driven by feelings of entitlement. The Bible could very well add that, that envy and pride and coveting and jealousy and egocentric lives instead of Christ-centered lives are not going to make you happy. But being focused on Christ, Christ in our heart, focused on others, that will make us happy in our sense of submitting to one another. You've heard the verses read. Uh, but I'm going to read one of those verses for you. Uh, we'll put that on the screen for you to see. Ephesians 5.21, part of that text. And there it is. Submit. Now, I'll stop right there because I want you to get past the first word. As the first word is a big word. And how many think that's a scary word? It's a scary word. It's actually also antithetical to our culture. American culture says, don't do that. That's not how you live. That's not how we should roll. That's not how you find happiness. So, so you've been told thousands and thousands of times not to do that, and yet here the Bible says to do that. So you look at submit, and it says to who? Submit to who is the title of the message today? Submit to each other. Oh, boy. Each other? Them? That guy over there? You know, is that what we do? But then it tells us the most beautiful part of this word and the most beautiful part of what the message is about today, and that is out of respect and reverence for Christ. Because it's all about him. It's, it's not just about submission or this person or that person. It's about my faith in Christ, how it's reflected in what I do. My relationships, what submission means for me, 
how we interact with other people, the world I live in, the people I see every day, the people in my family, people all around me, and how I do that and what it means. We're talking about submission, submit to each other out of respect for Christ. And here I'll add the words that I would say about that. That phrase is also going to go up for you to see. Relationships work best when we understand them as a way of reflecting our devotion to Christ. And we see them that way instead of, well, that's really hard. Or they're hard to get along with. Or they always want me to do something. Or whatever we think about our people in our world and our life, you know, we begin saying no because this is out of my, this, this reflects my devotion to Jesus Christ. If you have that in your life, praise God if you don't. You just have to invite Christ into your life. He wants to be in your heart. He wants you to be in his and walk with him. He's readily available through the, the, the terms we say so often. And Caesar says it almost every time he gets up here, God's amazing grace. It's always there for you if you want that. That's where relationships come from. Well, let's look at this. Three points I want to add quickly to this. It means to me, these are my ideas, of course, when I becomes we. When I becomes we. I'll refer to American culture, but I can add to that that I believe that there is, and I call it this, the cult of the individual. Which, by the way, is an illusion and a delusion because it cannot exist. No such thing as the individual. I had a mom and a dad. They'll tell me, if they were, in heaven they could say, hey, you, weren't, you didn't start this road by yourself. You know, there's no such thing. And so, so but we hear that and, and we think about, well, it's about my success, my individual accomplishments, you know, my dreams, my vision, what I want, you know, what I like to have happen, what I want to get, you know, and it's all about I. Well, that's not, not in the Bible at all. It can, it can only be about we if I'm really committed to following Jesus Christ the way that he teaches me to follow him. And the way he lived, example he gave, those men who, women who followed him and what he did to save us from our sins. When I become sweet. Here's a point I can make with, with, with that one. Uh, that as we think about the cult of the individuals, we think about how we, we only, that our, our culture says it's all about you if you end up and it's all about you, then it's all about nothing. There's nothing there in the end. And you look up and you say, I lost. I lost. Secondly, when people become our mission. When people become our mission and uh, the church, Christian life, is about the mission of Jesus Christ. And you already know people were his mission. God sent him. In fact, the word Christ means the sent one. Uh, God sent him to the world, and he says, as God sent me, so I send you, and he was all about the people. He, he just all, that was his mission from beginning to end. As he honored God, he reflected his love for his heavenly Father by how he lived. That's reflected in the people, no matter who they were, woman at the well, woman caught in adultery, uh, whether it was uh, these hard-headed disciples who were unbelievable men who uh, denied him, doubted him, one betrayed him. They questioned him. They never got it right. But it's always about them and about those. So when people become our mission, yeah, success is good. A job raise is good. Uh, there are many things that are good and of value. But our mission should be, needs to be, must be the people in our life and those who add to our life as the years go by. Thirdly, when it's not making a point but making a life. It's not making a point but making a life. 
You know, and, and, and about the individualistic sense of our world today, uh, there's a lot of points being made constantly. It seems like people say, I made my point, I'm happy now, when the reality is I'm not happy at all because nobody listens. But we have a point. And I know a lot of things, and I, can have, I, can have, I have an opinion about everything, by the way. I have an opinion about everything because I think I know everything, and I think I'm always right. Now, Rhonda, don't say anything. Don't laugh or smile, you know. I especially think I know everything. I do. You know, I told my granddaughter uh, a story the other day about some fact that I knew. I explained it to her, and she says, and then she finished my sentence because she knew the answer already. And she said, I knew that already, Granddad. I just want to make you feel good to make, me, make you think that I didn't know it and you were helping me know things. <laughs> She's 19. Okay. It's not making a point, but making a life. Uh, I, I added this illustration because I just noticed that sitting over here today. I'm not sure how your bulletin insert is where it has the order of worship. Is yours crooked as heck? Is mine the only one that's crooked as heck? Are some straight? Okay, well, that's still not perfect, but it's better than mine. Uh, they're crooked as heck, you know. And I can look at that and say, man, that church is full of a bunch of losers, you know. <laughs> you could say that. Or you could say, who did that? Nope, didn't they, didn't they see it before they put it out there? You could say that, or you could say, you know, this church operates like this. We, we, leave, we have a fast train every week, and every Sunday is a miracle. The fact that choir gets its act together in one week and gets ready to sing again one more time, orchestra gets its stuff over there, and it's where it's supposed to be, uh, and, and I get a sermon done, and, sermon get, and, and Caesar gets here, you know, uh, and... and and this is actually done at all. Let me tell you, it's a miracle. And the, I'm not sure who did this. I got an idea. But she's, <laughs> she, sweated all, she sweated all week long making this happen. Because stuff had to come from, from Scott. Stuff had to come from me. Other people put this thing together. I, I tell the process is unbelievable to make this thing happen. And so, hey, it's about her. And I think, I think it's a, a female who did it. But it's about her. <laughs> Now, that doesn't mean anything. I just said her, so I can, you know. But, but I thought, I know how hard she works. Who cares that this thing is crooked? Who cares that thing? It doesn't, it doesn't matter that that is crooked. It doesn't matter. And there are so many things that we think matter that do not matter at all. But the people in our world around us do. It's not about making a point, it's about making a life. There's a writer uh, that I don't read very often, but I've seen some of his materials. Uh, he passed away a few years ago, uh, really relatively young when he died. Uh, his name is Christopher Hitchens, I believe is his name. And he wrote for a number of magazines in New York. He's known as a very controversial writer, he liked doing that. Also called himself a Marxist and an anti-theist. Have you ever heard that term, anti-theist? He would say, I'm not an atheist, but I don't believe in God. I'm an anti-theist. I actually attack the idea that God exists. And I try to attack people who do believe in God. So that's where he comes from. But he felt necessary to write in Vanity Fair a long diatribe after Mother Teresa died. Mother Teresa. I mean, we're talking about Mother Teresa. Uh, and he wrote a diatribe condemning, accusing, and mudslinging at Mother Teresa after her death. 
Mother Teresa, who spent her life helping the poorest of the poor in India and many other countries as well. She uh, ended her life with 517 missions in more than 100 countries, typically aimed at helping the very poorest of the poor in countries where people that are poor die and no one's even there. You could go on and on about what she did. But I, I want you to hear what someone said about his article. Don't you have anything better to do than, than badmouth Mother Teresa? And I read that and I thought, yeah, I would think that you would. I mean, if you're going to have one thing in your life I'm going to do, I'm going to put all my energy into one thing, let's badmouth Mother Teresa. That's going to be it. So when his life ended just for years ago, I'm convinced. If you get looked up, he just said, I lost. I did not win. But he thought he was winning, but he was wrong. He's wrong about life and what matters. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, love is patience, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love is not, not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails that I read at a thousand weddings. Love never fails. If I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of love and grace and mercy. Because that's in the people in my life and the world I live in, that's where you want to live. That's where the winning is going to be. That's where winning is, that's where winning is going to happen in that place. And the Bible tells us that pretty clearly in this verse and many, many, many others. And we have the Christ who lived it out for us. His name is Jesus. 1 Corinthians. Duke University uh, did a study not very long ago. And Duke University, if you didn't know, was and really still is a Methodist school. They have a very tremendous Methodist seminary there, uh, built by tobacco money. But that's a whole other conversation, how all that happened, but uh, that's where it's located. Uh, but there was a study done on happiness, especially doing a long, long research, where does happiness come from? And uh, these are some of the points that were made, not all, but a few. And one is this, that nursing a grudge and resentment of others is a major factor in unhappiness. It said if, you, if we resent other people in our world or our lives, we will never be happy. And that could be anybody. That could be resenting a, a, a loved one, a, a neighbor, a friend, or the president. Someone resents someone else to a high extreme, they're going to be miserable. That's what the study said. Not my study, Duke University, major university in this nation. Second, I like this, really, I love this. The happiest people cooperate with life instead of running from life. I love that idea, cooperating with life. And life is the people I, I interact with. That's what life is. And, and when, I, when I cooperate with what is happening in that, those experiences, and I don't run from them or hide them or, or fight them or, or damage them, we're being told that's where you're going to find, hey, I won. I'm winning. Okay, thirdly, happier people stay involved in the living world. They resist the temptation to become reclusive, even in times of emotional stress, or for whatever reason they choose to do that. And so you, you know that's where I was going to go, uh, that, that we have this sense of uh, that, that if life, we, we just run from those things, it'll be easier. If I run from relationships, it'll be easier. It'll be less stressful. It won't require as much energy. Life will be simpler, 
but I'll lose if I do that, is what it's saying. If you want to win, we can't do that. We have to move toward that, run toward those relationships in all the ways they're lived out in our life, and there are many of them as difficult as they are sometimes. Fourthly, we've got to cultivate old-fashioned virtues. And this is a very recent study. We don't hear the word virtue very much, but it's used here. And they are, we'll hear them, love, surprise, surprise, humor, humor. So I'm in good shape because I'm the funniest guy there is, you know. <laughs> when, I, when I was uh, dating my wife, Rhonda, she laughed at everything I said, no matter what I said. And then after we got married, I got the eye roll instead. <laughs> what, is she laughing right now or rolling her eyes? <laughs> oh, okay. You tell me later on, people on either side, you tell me what went on with that one, so... No, she still lasts sometimes. <laughs> Two more things. Compassion, which is different than love. Compassion is acting out love. It's, it's doing something that reflects that love for someone else. And then loyalty. Loyalty. Boy, we're talking about an old-fashioned word. Loyalty. The four things that create the life that says at the end, I won, or the family says, he or she won. And God says, well done, the good and faithful servant, into thou, into thou and the joy of the Lord. We won. Important and, and meaningful ideas. And finally, in this Duke University study, find something bigger to believe in because self-centered, egotistical people score lowest in any test that measures happiness. <laughs> you know, egotistical people score lowest, self-centered people score lowest in any test for measuring happiness, this major university says. That's something bigger. And, of course, we're, we talk in the church about being Christ-centric and other-centered. We're talking about today. Now, I'm going to talk about uh, in the Ephesians word that, that was read a minute ago that Debbie read for us. Uh, there is also, it goes on in the next part of the same passage. It's only one thought, really. It's one thought in that chapter. Uh, we break it up, but we, we shouldn't. There's one thought. It's going to talk about marriage for a while in that in the next phrase, but I'm not talking about marriage. We'll use it as an illustration for fueling our life for change by emphasizing relationships and the words submit to each other. So be aware of that. This is not about marriage, but I want to use this as an illustration. Uh, and the word here says that wives should submit to their husbands. I mean, that's what it says in verse 22. If you want to look it up and if a husband wants to Put that out, take that one little verse and put it on the window for your wife, where your wife puts her makeup on, you do that. Uh, but don't, don't, don't say, I told you to do that. When she comes to me after she put a knot on your head. Okay, now it says wives submit to their husbands. Now, it says something else after that. It says, and husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. And Christ, in giving his life for the church, we're told, he had equality with God, but he did not grasp that. Instead, he became a bondservant for everyone. And so, in other words, it's the same thing. It's a mutual sense of submission. We may have a different motivation they're looking at here, but in either case, it's talking about the centrality of how we submit to one another in love in all our relationships, not just marriage, many things. And how Critical is to, the, to happiness in the Christian life and the joy of life and fuel for change and building and growing and winning where it comes from in our life and what that means for us, which leads to a very 
clear point that I've been heading toward. Do you already know what it is? Loving relationships with others and with God are the success of life. And we'll put that up on the screen if we can. That's the last thing on your message page if you're one that follows along. Loving relationships are, and with God, are the success in life. That's just a fact. The Bible teaches it. Jesus lived it out. You and I know it. And oh, by the way, Duke University study said the same thing. And and Randy Alcorn made the same comment, writing an entire book about the very subject. And I believe that these things are true. 4,000 years ago, Babylon has the first recorded, we have the first recorded note that oil was discovered 4,000 years ago. And they didn't know what it was, what much, much to do with it, but they were able to define, we found some oil. And we think they might have used it in helping hold streets together better, you know, just old crude oil. 1595, uh, almost 500 years ago, it was discovered in the Americas. Again, what do we do with this stuff? 1859, uh, the first modern oil well uh, was drilled in that sense of drilling a hole. There it is in the ground, bringing it up. Again, what do we do with it? They weren't sure. They did a few things, but it wasn't a big deal. There were no cars. <laughs> there were no machinery that could use it, and so it really wasn't existing at that point. Still had steam engines, you know, on ships, things like that. In 1901, in Beaumont, Texas, what happened then? What's the name of that well? Spindletop, all you smart people. Uh, Spindletop was the name of that well. Uh, our daughter and son-in-law and five grandkids live in Beaumont, so we're, we've, we've been there not too far from that. And they discovered this is fuel. This is fuel. And when they decided this was fuel, it could be fuel for what was being developed rapidly, meaning automobiles, industry, uh, and the list goes on. Has the world changed since we discovered <laughs> that, that oil can become gasoline? Well, you know that it has. The, the change has been so dramatic, we can't even imagine what life was like before we discovered what oil was about. And you shouldn't have to discover. You don't have to. It shouldn't be where we have to discover how important relationships are. People can live a long time without realizing that they are. They can just plain miss it. Like the world missed for 4,000 years. This oil is pretty remarkable stuff. Well, relations are pretty remarkable stuff. And God teaches us how important they are in his own life, his cross, his love, his example. Ephesians teaches it. The church teaches it. Jesus, and, and Duke University says, yep, Bible's right. Jesus is right. We figured it out with a, with a very intensive study that we have done. So today, very simple. The words are submit to each other out of respect and reverence for Christ who submitted himself to us on the cross, the Lord that we love. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for the words you give us. We so appreciate them. And I know there are people here whose track in life is going to a place where that scoreboard goes up and it's going to say you lost. I know, God, there are people here like that. Others are struggling to find that, that winning way of living. They're still working at it, and I pray, God, you help us with that. Some of us have it figured out pretty well, but still not all there. I pray, God, you touch our hearts with the words of Scripture and the life of Christ, the grace you give us, and what it means to live this kind of life, fuel for our building a life that's the Christian life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.